Let's open those up together to the book of First Timothy. Well, it's a blessing to be here tonight, study the Word of the Lord. Pray to God. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time of study and have Him just enrich our lives with His Word. Father, we just thank You again for the privilege of coming together to study Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the ministry of Your Holy Spirit that speaks to us as we look to Your Word. Jesus, You said that the Spirit would come and that He would guide us and lead us into all truth. And we believe that we find that truth in Your Word as Your Holy Spirit opens it up to our hearts and minds. So that's what we're asking for tonight, God. We don't want to just read and look at the words and study intellectually. We want something spiritual to happen. We want Your Holy Spirit to make it alive on the inside of us. Because we believe Your Word has power. Power to change our hearts. Power to transform our lives. It has eternal value, Lord, in our thoughts even tonight. So we ask that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, Lord, as you show us these things from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we were uh, finishing up last week, and uh, I'll just conclude. We were finishing up the first chapter of Timothy, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And there's just one portion here that I want to finish up on, and then I really want to talk to you mostly tonight about the beginning verses of chapter 2 where Paul talks and encourages prayer. But there is something there that I didn't have a chance to cover last week, and it's, it's a kind of a, something that we should at least look at because it, it's such a strong thing that Paul says in verse 20. If you remember, Paul was encouraging Timothy to fight the spiritual fight that God had set before him, and that was to kind of set things straight at the church in Ephesus. And he told him that... Um, you know, he needed to, uh, to put some things in order there. And he charged Timothy that, that he would fight the good warfare and that he would have a good conscience and uh, sincere faith. And he spoke of some whose faith had gone shipwreck. And he gives a couple names here, and that's what I want to look at, verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And that's such a strong statement by the Apostle Paul, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We need to try and understand what he's saying there and what exactly he means by that, because it does sound pretty harsh. What what had happened here is these two men, and we don't know that much about these two men. Hymenaeus is is mentioned uh, in one other place that we know of for sure in 2 Timothy, and he's mentioned as a false teacher. So we know that he was in this church and stirring trouble. He was teaching false doctrine, might have even been a leader within the church there, and that's why he had opportunity to teach. But Paul identified that what he was teaching was incorrect, and he needed to be corrected. And when, when people are unwilling to be corrected, then the church has to, and the apostle in this case, takes even stronger disciplinary action. And this Hymenaeus was, and Alexander, he accuses them of blaspheming, And that word blaspheme means to slander God or to misrepresent the divine truth concerning God uh, and even speaking evil against God. So blasphemy is a strong, strong charge that Paul brings to these two men. And as a result of 
Undoubtedly, their unrepentant attitude, unwilling to be corrected, unwilling to yield to Paul's authority as the apostle, he has given them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. What does this mean to to deliver someone over to Satan? It it really means this, to put them, it's kind of like what you and I might call today excommunication, to put them out of the church. If they're coming into the church, stirring up trouble, teaching doctrine that's not consistent with the Bible, not consistent with what the Apostle Paul was trying to lay down as a foundation, causing disputes and and dissension in the church, then you you, you confront them, you correct them, you try to gently restore them. But if they're unwilling, no, I'm going to do what I want. Well, then there there has to be something done to protect the body, right? To protect the rest of the church. Uh, and so that's, in this essence, what Paul is doing. He's saying, you guys, you guys are out of the church, and we're delivering you over to Satan. And what that means is that when, you, when you're no longer a part of the church, you are out from under the protection that God provides to the church. The church is referred to, and, that, that, and when I say the church, not just kind of our church, but the church globally, that body of believers that are fellowshipping, we are part of that church, and we have a certain blessing as we come together here as a church, and there is a protection that God provides the church. There's a safety amongst believers, safety in doctrine, right? It's kind of hard to get weird when you have other people to kind of hold you accountable. You get all by yourself, and you have all kinds of weird doctrines that you might think uh, are good, but when you're in the body, there's a, there's a safety net there because we hold one another accountable. There's also prayer support for one another, right? When you have needs. I mean, if you go through times when you have need and you just need fellowship, you need people to come alongside and pray with you. There's a sense of the Spirit of God that works among us when we come together in worship. Jesus said, when two or more are gathered there, I will be in your midst. The Word talks about coming together as living stones, being knit together to form the house of God. So there is a protection, there is a safety, there is a blessing from God, a covering, if you will, that comes over the church. And this is God's design, not because pastors want it this way, but God has ordained it this way. And so what had happened here in these these two men's case, they had been, you're out of the church. You're no longer able to be here and enjoy the blessing and the protection and the safety of the church, and we deliver you back out into the world, and back out into that world is Satan's domain. The Bible clearly teaches that he he's working and operating in the world system, and that there are those that are unbelievers are even held captive; they're blinded by the enemy. And so, in this sense, it's a form of discipline that they might be taught not to blaspheme. The hope is that through putting them out of the church and they go back out, you know, outside of our fellowship, that as their life encounters the things that happen out in the world, out from under the protection of the church, that it will serve as a form of discipline and training and that they'll come to their senses. That's the hope for the Apostle Paul. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but another case study of this can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When the Apostle Paul, you can just kind of put this in your notes for, like I say, maybe some of your own personal study. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul deals with a situation in the Corinthian church. And he says, hey, there's a guy that I understand he's living in an immoral relationship in the church and he's just enjoying all the best blessings and benefits of the church. 
we've corrected him, he's unwilling to change, he needs to be put out. Well, they put him out, and, they, and later, the, the next letter that Paul writes to that church in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, Paul writes again and says, Restore that brother. I understand that he's repented. I understand that he's completely sorry and broken for you know, the things that he's done. Now you need to restore him and bring him back into the church, lest he get discouraged. Bring him back in and love him and encourage him and let him know that you, you know, he's still a part of you and he's forgiven. And you know, all we needed was for his heart to, 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 you know, to respond, to obey, to repent, to say, yeah, you're right, I, I can't live in this immoral relationship and come in and, and you know, play church. So this is the idea here. When Paul's turning one over to Satan, it's a spiritual discipline. Uh, there's other examples in the scripture where even the Lord allows Satan to buffet or you know, come against even believers. Paul, remember he said that he had a thorn in his flesh? And I prayed three times. It was a, what did he call it? A messenger from Satan sent to buffet him. It was something that was burdening him. And he asked three times for the Lord to take it away. And the Lord said, no, I'm allowing it to be there because it serves a purpose in your life. It keeps you humble. Because I've revealed so much to you, Paul. You've had such an, you know, I've opened up more of tr more truth to you than, than most men that it would be easy for you to kind of maybe think of yourself as, wow, God's, you know, I've, he was caught up in the third heaven, saw things and revealed things that it wasn't even permitted for him to speak. He talks about so much that God had revealed to him, but God also allowed this trouble to keep him weak in needing the Lord. And in a sense, it served as a, you know, kind of a protection against Paul's heart that it might, be, might get proud. And we all have that vulnerability. And I believe that the Lord allows certain difficulties in our lives. Certain, you know, what you, would, you and I would have to say seems like even evil things that seem to happen. You know, evil men or things that are unjust happen to us from time to time. But the Lord allows those things in order to work something good in our heart, whether it be humility, whether it be learning dependence on Him, whether it be correction for lifestyle or patterns of life that are not appropriate as Christians. The Lord disciplines His children. In fact, He says in Hebrews that without discipline, you are not a legitimate child. If God loves you, He will discipline you. And that's why He disciplines you, because He loves you. And we can trust His discipline to be, to be balanced and to be right and to be done appropriately. So here, the Apostle Paul is kind of instituting church discipline on these two men that are unwilling to be corrected, unwilling to stop their false doctrine, teaching their false doctrine. Paul said, I've delivered them over to Satan. Now you, Timothy, make sure that they're put out and they'll have to learn not to blaspheme. So that's what's happening there. And Paul is simply instructing Timothy to follow through on that and giving him that authority to do so. That concludes chapter 1, which is kind of Paul's introductory thoughts to Timothy concerning this church in Ephesus that he's uh, been sent to pastor. And now I want us to look together in, and begin at least in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. And we'll, look, we'll see how far we get tonight. Hopefully we can get through verses 1 through 8. And the title of this thought tonight is, First of all, prayer. First of all, prayer. I might say it this way the priority of prayer. And let's pick it up here and look at verses 1 through 8, and then we'll come back and study these together. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 
Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Paul gives this instruction to pray. And I want us just to kind of dissect these verses tonight. He starts there in verse 1, and he talks about the different types of prayer. Notice the different words that he uses concerning prayer. He says there are supplications, he uses the word prayers, and he also talks about intercessions and giving of thanks. Supplications, that word uh, it communicates the idea that we would bring our needs and that which we lack to God for supply. Supplication is all about us crying out to God for those things that we need in our life. God's okay with that. It's not selfish to ask the Lord for help. It's not, it's not you know, selfish to consider your needs, your family, your personal needs, and to ask God for help in those circumstances. In fact, God wants you to look to Him for those things. God wants to be our supply. God wants us to, to consider Him as our source of help and strength. In fact, He, he often he calls Himself a jealous God. He really doesn't want you looking... You know, prayer is not supposed to be the last resort... Oh, we've tried everything. I guess we should just, all we can do now is pray. Prayer is to be the, the first of all, right? First of all, prayer. Prayer is to be the first priority in our life. It's, it's the thing that we should do first. You know, when, when I get a headache, the first thing I do is look for the Advil. Well, you know, maybe I should, Lord, help me with this headache, Lord. Then look for the Advil. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with us using those things that God has provided, right? And I'm not suggesting that we don't, but I am suggesting that God is, is to be included in all things in, of our life, and especially those things where we have lack, where we have need. You're going to have times of need. You're going to be overwhelmed at times. You're going to have circumstances that overwhelm you. You're going to have financial needs that overwhelm you. You're going to have family issues that overwhelm you. There are, even just in this small fellowship here tonight, there's a, the list is lengthy of all the different things that each of us is facing in our life. God wants you to bring those things to Him. There's another passage. He says, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Supplication has that idea, whatever you need, whatever you're lacking, whatever you're hurting for, look to God, pray, ask Him to help, ask Him to bring that which you, you need. Supplications. He also uses this word prayers. And of course, prayer is simply that, communicating to God, but it's used in the Scripture, this particular uh, this Greek word that he uses, it's only used in reference to God. In other words, supplications 
means bringing your requests, making your requests known. Well, we do that to God. We can also do that to family members. Hey, I need you to, you know, uh, pick up some you know, milk on the way home. I can go to my employer and say, hey, I need a raise. Those are supplications. But when it comes to this word that Paul uses here concerning prayer, this is a word that is only used to describe communicating with God. In other words, there's a special place that God holds in your heart and life. That you don't look, any, that you only go to him for. So it, it kind of communicates this idea of reverence, of humility, of respect. That that I when I'm when I think about prayer, I think about God and only God. He's the one that I look to first and foremost for all things. Prayers, intercessions, intercessions has the idea of uh, actually identifying with the needs and burdens of others, not just your own. It has identifying with, with their, their uh, issues involved in their struggle. Maybe you could consider yourself an advocate, one who has empathy, sympathy, compassion, involvement. As we come together as Christians, we get involved in one another's lives. That's the idea, to help one another along that we would not be alone, that we would not have to go through things alone. And there are times when others need help. And so we pray, we intercede for them. We pray on their behalf. We ask God to help in their situation because we're feeling the burden of their situation. We intercede for people that don't know the Lord. How many of you have family members or friends or co-workers that simply don't know Christ? We should be praying for them. That's interceding. That's involved in their need. That's me having an empathy for their loss. And so I pray for them. I consider them. Christianity is not to be just a self-centered. There is, obviously, we have our own needs as well, and that's in the this, this, this Scripture also. But there has to be an identifying with the needs of others. Jesus is the role model. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And He was the, the Son of the living God. If anyone had a right to come and say, here I am, serve me, bow down before me, it was him. But he said, no, I didn't come with that. I came rather to be a role model of what I want you to be. And that I came to serve, not to be served, but to lay down my life for others. Remember, he washed the disciples' feet. There's that, that example of service. Intercession, intercessory prayer is that identifying with the hurts and burdens of others and taking those to the Lord in prayer. We also see the giving of thanks. Prayer is also a form of worship. I really should say worship is another form of prayer. Thanksgiving, you know what that word means. Gratitude, a sense of appreciation. Understanding the privilege that you have an audience with God. Think about this. What would you do if you were, let's say you were a software, you had a software idea and you were a kind of a talented programmer. What, what would you do to get an audience with Bill Gates? Have an opportunity to sit down with Bill Gates for a couple of hours and show him some of your software ideas, right? He's the, anybody know who Bill Gates is, right? President of Microsoft, right? Oh, that would be pretty cool. For anybody that's into software development, that would be like, oh, that's, that's as high, that's the top, right? Well, in a, in a, in a, in a so much greater sense, we have access to the creator of the universe, we have an opportunity to come and, and bring our... We have an audience with God. And He's given us time and He's made time for us. 
And it's a privilege. So when we come into his presence, even to make our requests known, there should be something of thanksgiving. Lord, I'm so glad you're here to listen. I'm so thankful that you even have given ear, that you care about us, that, that you would give me an audience to give you, to talk about even my, my you know, personal needs. This, the, even some of the things that might seem trivial, right? God's, God's not, not worried about that. Bring it. Bring it all. Cast, bring all your requests to God. Philippians 4.6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this idea of thanksgiving speaks a little bit of to the attitude that you would come to pray, but also that that is part of my prayer. I thank the Lord. Lord, I'm thank- Lord, I am so thankful tonight that, you know, I'm healthy and able to be here. I'm so thankful, Lord, that my four kids are healthy or that my wife is healthy. I mean, there's things to be thankful for. And that's, that needs to be communicated. We take some things for granted and, you know, we just, we're always focused on what we don't have and what we need. There's plenty. But sometimes we forget what He's done for us. Forget none of His benefits, the psalmist said. So I want part of my prayer life to be Thankful, and that's kind of what worship is. Worship really is uh, a pr- is part of prayer. I've heard it explained by uh, another worship leader that the, the, when we sing those songs, that is the sung prayers of the church. It's a chance for us to come together and sing our prayers to God. That's what worship is. It's communing with God, communicating something to God. That's prayer, right? Prayer is communicating with God. Well, worship is a part of our prayer life. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to give thanks to the Lord, to worship Him, to, you know, think of the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. There's a, the first thing out is worship. You are holy. You are awesome. We acknowledge you. Right? So that's part of our prayers is worship and the giving of thanks. Okay. That's the types of prayer that are listed there in verse 1. Who does he say to pray for? Verse 2, beginning of verse 2. Well, actually, the end of verse verse 1. That these things would be made for who? All men. He goes on to say, for kings and all who are in authority. For all men. For kings and who all and for all who are in authority. You know, we now, of course, you don't know everybody. You can't pray for everybody. But the point is... Nobody is excluded from prayer. Pray for everybody you know. Pray for, pray for the church. Pray for this community. Pray for this nation. Pray for the world. Pray for the people that we know in India. You know, as a church, we're connected that way through some pastors that we work with. Let's pray for God's work on the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul's idea here is that you, you know, don't, don't get. And this happens to us as Christians. We can get so narrowly focused on what's going on in my life, right? I'm always on my mind. <laughs> and, and, and there's just, there, there you can kind of get, you can really get kind of just narrowed in. And we forget, you know what, God's, God's doing a work on, across the whole earth, across generations and generations. God is, God's kingdom is on the move. And we, sometimes it's, it's useful, sometimes it's even helpful, you know, for our own uh, emotional mindset to remember, you know, this, there's a big picture here. 
God's got something that he's doing on the planet. And yes, I, I have my issues, but you know, God's, uh, that's just part of what, I'm just a small part of what God is doing. And, and it just helps me anyway to feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm a part of something big. I'm a part of something wonderful. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. God hasn't asked me to save the whole world, but if I'll just be faithful in this small place, I'm, a, I'm connected to the whole thing that God is doing. And it's a wonderful work. So he says, pray for all men. I, he wants us to be praying for all of us, one another, the local church here. Pray for our church. Pray for your pastor. We, he could use it. Pray for the youth in this community. Pray. You know, when you drive by a high school, pray. Pray for the young ones. Pray for the lost. Pray for those that don't know Christ. There's a lot of people out there, folks, that are in desperate need. Broaden your scope a little bit tonight and think, Lord, there's, there's so much. That there's so many that need you, so many that are desperate for you, that who have situations and troubles beyond, way even beyond our own, and I, I need to be mindful of them in prayer. He also talks about praying for those in authority, for kings and all who are in authority. Now, when Paul wrote this, Nero was the emperor at Rome. In Rome, Nero was an evil, godless. Um, just a terrible man, terrible leader. And yet Paul, in that context, in this, where, you know, it'd be like having the most godless, reprobate president that you could think of. And some of you can think of some that maybe we've even had. But even in that setting, and that's what Paul is saying, even he's, he writes this even during a time when, when Roman emperors were not, were not godly men, pray for him. Pray for these guys. Pray for Nero even though he's been an enemy of the church, even though he's persecuted Christians, even though he's godless, even though he doesn't fear God, even though he's immoral and self-serving, pray for him. Pray for those in authority. God wants us to pray for those that are over us, even in governments. And there's something that happens when you begin to pray. You begin to... Something in your own heart begins to change towards people. You know, it's so easy to criticize, right? Right? And we can be very critical of our, of our government. There's plenty to be critical of, right? And there's plenty of things to be critical about concerning the leadership, even in even you know politics, you know, and politicians. And we have there's a whole stereotype that kind of kind of follows politics today. We've all become somewhat distrusting and frustrated. And but you know what? When you pray, when you begin to engage in prayer, something of your own heart begins to change. You you have a different perspective. Try it. If you've got a difficult boss at work, start trying to pray for that person. You're going to find that that person, that you, it's, hard to, it's hard to be as quite as animosity, have that animosity towards them when you begin to pray for them. So there's something that works on the inside of you as well as you engage in prayer. But I also believe that God wants us praying for them, for their salvation. Pray for our president. Pray for those that, that are in Congress that, that are pushing agendas that are anti-Christian, pray for them. Pray that they would be saved. Pray that God would stir their hearts. Those are the objects of prayer. Those that we are to be praying, these are the people that we should be praying for. What are some of the benefits of prayer? Look at the, last, the latter half of verse 2. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all gentleness and reverence. I want to have a quiet and peaceable life. 
I can't always get it, (laughs) but I sure do desire that. And Paul is saying, as you pray, even for your country, even for those that are in authority, the idea is that you would be able to live a peaceable, quiet, peaceable life. You know what? We do enjoy many blessings in this country. We do have many freedoms. I do believe a lot of it is the result of prayer. The, the, the prayer of those that founded the nation, the prayers that have gone up these 200 and plus years of the, that the nation has existed, I believe that much of what we have enjoyed is the result of prayer. We have had opportunity as Christians to lead you know, relatively quiet, peaceful lives. We're not persecuted here. We can, hear, we can speak tonight of Jesus Christ. There's no threat of, of uh, armed guards coming in and arresting us for, for worshiping Christ here tonight, right? There are some countries where they do worry about that. There are some places, and there's been places in history, and you know, you know that, 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 you know, and, certainly, and even in Paul's time, he was persecuted. But he's saying, pray, pray that God would change the political climate, that, that we would be able to live our lives out as Christians in peace and live for God and not have the worry and fear. Nobody desires persecution. Now, God does say that you, you will experience it in the world, but we don't want it. We don't look for it. We're not praying for it. No, we're asking that God would give us peace, that God would open doors. You know, we have this uh, ministry fellowship in India that we work with, Pastor Utham, and he was telling me that a few years back when I first went to India, the political climate there was very, very closed to Christianity. And you may remember in the headlines, I think it was a missionary out of Australia. Uh, he and his son were put to death. They were out ministering in India in some tribal area. And they came, these guys came and I think killed, murdered them, burned them in their car or something. I don't remember all the details. And, but he said that what has happened in the last few years, that the leadership has changed. There's been a change of leadership in the country. And he said, what we have right now is a very much more open door for the gospel. There's still limitations, and as you get out into certain regions of the country, you still have to be careful. But he said, this is a, a total change. A total, you know, God has heard our prayers. We've been praying that he would open up doors. And there's been a political climate change where the gospel now has opportunity. You know, there's over a billion people there, and just a small percent of them have even heard the gospel. So God is hearing the prayers of the church and the prayers of, of missionaries and the prayers of those Christians in the land crying out, God, help the, the rulers and the authority to give place to allow the gospel to come into our country. And I believe that God is hearing those prayers. And we should desire that. That's one of the benefits is that we might have opportunity to live out our Christian lives without fear, that we might be able to live in godliness and reverence to the Lord. I'll quote you a common... Uh, a piece out of a commentary that I use talking about this idea of praying for our government and looking for God to give us peace in the land. Paul does not command us to pray for the removal from office of evil rulers or those with whom we disagree politically. Believers are to be loyal and submissive to their government. If the church today took the time and energy it spends on political maneuvering and lobbying, and poured them into intercessory prayer, we might see a profound impact on our nation. We have all too often forgotten that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That's a quote from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. The key to changing a a nation is the salvation of sinners, and that calls for faithful prayer. Amen. Thank God for Christian lawyers. Thank God for Christian lobby groups that, that are in Washington representing a Christian agenda. But don't look there for our ultimate strength and political maneuvering. Look to God. Pray. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to save. Let's ask the God, to be, God to be merciful, to extend mercy on a nation that is slowly drifting away from the Lord and more rapidly now, and a nation that is turning from God. We need to pray that God would save, that God would, would intervene. These are some of the benefits of prayer. Even your nation can be moved. Certainly your own community, your home, your church, your school, your business place. God can work as we pray. What are some motives for prayer? Look at verse 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, I'll give you one good reason, one good motive to pray. It's good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. It pleases God. I don't know about you, but I... I want to please God. Here's here's a simple thing that you can do to please God. Do you desire to please the Lord? Would you like to do something that would bring pleasure to the Lord, that would please Him? Pray. Pray. It's good. It's right. It's pleasing to the Lord that you pray, that you look to Him. He's longing for that fellowship. He's longing for that, that you looking to Him for your help and strength. Pray. It's a blessing to pray. It pleases the Lord. That's that's motive enough. If it pleases God, then I want to do it. Lord knows I've done enough things that that I know have displeased Him, and I regret those things. He's been so gracious and so good. Lord, if there's anything I can do to please You, I'd like to be doing that. Well, here it is. Pray. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And he reveals something here concerning the heart of God in verse 4. Why does God want you to pray? Why does God want us interceding for the lost? Why does God want us concerned about others around us and the condition of people's lives? Verse 4, because he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I'm going to close on this here tonight. We'll, We'll look at a couple more things on prayer uh, next next time, because we're, we're just a little late on time, and I want to take time on this. And I, I, this is just something that's been in my own heart here now for some time. It's, I say it often. I think I probably weave it into a lot of the different teaching that I do. It's, but I just feel like it's something that God has put in my heart to say, that we so need to have our hearts aligned with His. We really need His agenda to be our agenda. And, and for some, I, I, maybe it's just because the, I just feel the tide of our culture going in a, in a totally different direction, very self-centered, very materialistic, very you know, self-oriented. And it's even become, you know, it's kind of crept into the, to the way Christianity works. We, we, 
we want God to help us fulfill our dreams and visions for life. I want my life to be fulfilled. And so even as a Christian, I'm, I'm constantly looking to get God on my agenda. I've got plans. I've got career goals. I've got things that I want to see happen. And so I invite God to my, my life. And Lord, just, you know, come and I, I've, you know, come and help me accomplish and fulfill those things that are on my priority list. And what I see here in the heart of the Apostle Paul is, here's the kind of, God wants us praying for the lost because that's what's on his mind. He is more concerned about the lost than, you know, that thing that you may really be praying and asking him for, that you feel that you need in your life. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for it, but don't get so you know, focused on your agenda that you forget what's on His mind tonight. What is on the mind of the Lord tonight? I want to pray. I want my life to be involved in His agenda. And tonight, the Lord is concerned for the lost. Tonight, right now, the heart of God just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he, when he saw a nation that had gone awry, his, his, his beloved people rebelled and rejected Him. And Jesus wept. And the heart of God tonight is weeping over the lost and is burdened for those that do not know Him, for those that are living out their lives with no knowledge of Him, with no grace, no opportunity for salvation lest they turn their hearts to His Son. God wants the lost to be saved. God is primarily interested in reconciling men to Himself. I believe it is His highest priority. I believe it is the most important thing on the mind of God tonight. And if that's true, then what should be on our minds tonight. If it's God's highest priority, and you know, you don't have to look very far. Well, how do we know that's God's priority? Well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I mean, Jesus came and died on a cross. Why? To save sinners like you and me. To reconcile men unto Himself. This is what's on His agenda tonight. Oh, and we get so distracted. We have... So, you know, on our priority list, you know, prayer list, somewhere down about, you know, down toward the bottom, pray for the lost. Yeah, yeah, throw that in. Yeah, pray for the lost. Lord, save the sinners. <laughs> but Lord, I've got, oh, you know, I've got a lot of things on my list that we need covering first, you know. But on God's mind, you see it right here in verse 4. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what Paul is encouraging us to pray for. This is the motive for prayer. Paul says, hey, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for the nation. You need to be praying for all men. You need to be interceding for the lost because God desires all men to be saved. And this is the way that you can work with God. You can pray for the lost. I can't, you know, I, I don't know how to get people saved. I can't go out tonight. There's, there's you know, there, Friday night you come up here, you'll see so many kids out there that need help. I can't go out there and get them. I don't know how to get them saved. 
I really don't. They won't listen to me. You know, they don't, they don't want to have anything to do with you. But I can pray for them. I really can pray for them. And so we need to be praying for them, you know. Uh, I, the youth are on my heart. You know, I had an opportunity to speak. Laura invited me. I had an opportunity to speak at uh, my old alma mater, Los Altos High School. I had a chance to go and speak to a small Bible study there. And so, you know, the kids are on my mind tonight, you know. You know, I couldn't help. I mean, walk on that campus, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 kids. And we got a little, you know, we got eight or nine Christians that come out to hear, you know, that we have an opportunity to share. And I'm just kind of, Lord, this campus needs you. This, these kids need you. This is, that's just one campus. You know how many campuses there are just in, within five miles of here, within 10 miles of here. How many youth? Barney sees it every day, works, on camp, works at the, with the high school students. Allen works in junior high. We, we know the need. I, it's, it's overwhelming. It really is. It's too big. And I, I'm not trying to burden you with, you know, something that you can't solve tonight. But I am trying to say to you tonight, you can pray. And you, we should pray. We must pray. We must pray for the lost. We must pray for God to open doors for the lost in our community for the lost in our workplace, for the lost in our families, for the kids in our schools. Let's pray. Let's just pray. And that's, that's really, that's our, and it's not like, well, that's all we can do. Hey, that's something powerful to do. You invite the power of God into a circumstance that is too big for you and I. So it's no small thing to pray. It's no, so, well, just pray. You know, it's not like some, some meaningless thing. Pray. Let's pray for one another. Yes, we have needs. Yes, there are burdens, and we want to pray and, and, and help one another. But let's not forget what's on God's heart tonight. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jose is out there as a police officer, L.A. police officer, I'm sure. He can tell you, people need the Lord. People need the Lord everywhere you go. So let's be a people that pray, pray individually, pray corporately. You know, when we have our monthly prayer meeting, I know it's not easy to get out on another night during the week. But again, what's on God's mind? Come on out. Let's pray because we pray for the lost. We pray for the community. We pray for the youth. And I believe that it makes a difference. I believe that God hears. I believe that God works. I believe that we're seeing some of that even in our own services. I believe some of the kids that are here tonight and some of the kids that come out, I mean, we're just a little group. Our, our youth group is bigger than some big churches. You know, why? I believe it's prayer. We've, we've had that on our monthly prayer list since we started. And God is it's working. It's making a difference. So that's, that's the heart of Paul, encouraging men to pray. And we'll look at some of that next week. We'll finish that up. But let me go ahead and close us in prayer. And um, you'd be encouraged to do that, do the praying yourself and praying together. And when you have a need, pray. When it's overwhelming, call somebody in the church. Get someone to pray with you. Come up after a service. We will lay hands on you. We'll join our hearts together in prayer as you have needs. I really believe that what God is doing, at least in this ministry, is primarily a result of prayer. And I, and I, and I, I, I love this quote. Uh, Mr. Grobelar, when he came and ministered, he was a guest speaker while I was in India. Prayer is the engine room of the church. Prayer is not, the, not one of the things. It's the thing.
It's, it's, it's what makes it happen. And that, it, it invites God into our situation. And that's what we need. We need God. And prayer is how we access that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, what almost seems kind of simple, really, fundamental. Of course, Christians should pray. We've heard that all our lives. We, know, we all know that. And yet, Lord, sometimes we just need to be reminded by your word. And the Apostle Paul charges Timothy and his duties towards that church, first of all, pray. First of all, Timothy, get that church praying. And get them praying for the lost. Get them praying for all men in all places, for leadership, for communities. First of all, pray. And so, Lord, we want to give place to that. We believe that that instruction that was given to Timothy to pastor that church in Ephesus is as relevant for this pastor who wants to pastor this church in Monrovia. God, we need to pray. First of all, there needs to be prayers. And Lord, you've given us instruction on how to pray, on the different types of prayer. You've given us full access to your throne room, to your your, to your heart and ear, we, we have your attention anytime we want it. Oh, God, may we take full advantage of the audience that you're willing to give us and that we would pray and be people of prayer. And Lord, I'm asking you to grow us in this. Sometimes prayer is, well, Lord, to be honest, it's, it's always kind of burdensome. It's not easy to pray. Hard to find the time. Hard to keep our mind from wandering. And then after we pray for two or three things, we don't know what else to say. Lord, we need help to even learn how to pray as we ought. And we're asking you, Lord, to grow our prayer life. Lord, I remember when I first started to pray, I had about five minutes and I was finished. And Lord, that was something I had to learn. It's something you had to, to train me in. And through the Word and through you know, the Holy Spirit, I began to learn how to pray and how to intercede for others and how to bring burdens to you. And so, God, I'm asking you to, to teach us as a church how to pray. Train us in prayer, Lord. Our hearts are ready. Our hearts are desiring to do that, God. And so we would ask that you would, by your grace, lead us into that place of prayer, that this would be really a, a, a church with a... Um, uh, a real powerful engine room. Prayer, Lord. We ask you to help us in these things. We ask you to grow us in these things. And we thank you, Lord, for your instruction on it. In Jesus' name.